Thank you for joining us for the Lafayette Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. Please join us each week as we listen to lessons given on Sunday mornings at the Lafayette Church of Christ. And good morning again, church. And let me uh, again welcome you to, to worship here at Lafayette. It's great to Great to see everyone this this morning, and I also want to welcome uh, our brothers and sisters joining us online. Uh, I know we've got a lot of folks traveling and some folks with germs and all those kinds of things, uh, and so if you're uh, joining us online this morning, we, we do miss you, uh, and uh, Lacey says hi, so she's one of those dealing with germs this morning, so uh, so good good to have you guys joining us as well. So uh, we spent the, the first couple weeks uh, in this series out of First Kings. And what I would say were, were some interesting um, but pretty unfamiliar stories. And so we, we worked through a lot of text, and it was uh, probably some text that, that a lot of us had not seen in some time. But this morning, we have before us probably the most, uh, I, I would guess, the most classic Solomon passage, which is uh, uh, this request for, for wisdom that, that Kevin has, has already read for us. So, uh, AV team already threw this up there. You can see the, the schedule for this series. So again, those, those first two weeks were kind of the historical setting for, for Solomon moving into uh, his, his role as, as king. Uh, this week, we, we see the wise request for wisdom. Uh, next week, Ethan Blackstone's going to be preaching uh, for the first time at Lafayette. So I'm really excited uh, for that. And he's going to continue this, this connection next week with a couple texts uh, that connect Solomon and, and wisdom. Uh, and then the week after that, we'll get into some of the material that week and a couple weeks beyond uh, on Solomon's building projects, like him building a temple uh, for the Lord God and, and also building himself uh, some nice things. So we're going to go beyond that part. We're going to go all the way to 1 Kings 14, but that's kind of where we've been these, these first few weeks. Um, this morning, in particular, we're going to do things a little bit differently than we normally do during the sermon time. So I'm going to uh, tried to preach this passage for about uh, only 15 minutes, uh, which is uh, a challenge for me, especially because this is a really good passage. And some of you have already been asking about aspects of this passage earlier this morning, which means you already did your homework. Uh, so we're going to see if I can stay focused for about 15 minutes. And, and then that time of preaching is going to take us immediately uh, into a what I would call a, a discernment exercise where we're going to sit in here uh, quietly uh, in silence, and we'll get to that when, when we get to it. But we'll, we'll do that for about eight to 10 minutes uh, here out of the sermon time. And then after that exercise, I'll get back up and, and lead us in, in a prayer. And then we're going to transition directly into our, our time of, of communion. So doing, doing things a little bit differently this morning. But go ahead and open up your Bibles uh, or your Bible apps as usual to 1 Kings 3, uh, if you're not there yet. And again, we'll spend spend a few minutes here here this morning in, in the text. So this this chapter is, is I would say, generally a, a very positive portrayal of, of Solomon. This is, is Solomon at his best. And yet, uh, I actually want to begin by pointing out that even then, even in this chapter where, where Solomon is, is on his best behavior, there are still some, some warning signs uh, in this passage about Solomon and, and where things may be headed in the rest of, of the story of Solomon. So I promise I'm not trying to be overly critical of this young king, uh, but, I, but I do believe the author of, of 1 Kings 
is intentionally slipping in certain details into the narrative uh, that, that foreshadow Solomon's eventual downfall, which is uh, many chapters later. So I want to point those out briefly, and then we'll stay uh, nice and positive and optimistic uh, for, for the rest of the time. So the, the first warning sign, I hope you guys pick up on some of this. The first warning sign is right there in the very first, uh, the very first sentence uh, of our scripture reading this morning. And it is that Solomon chooses to marry the daughter of Pharaoh, who is the king of, of Egypt. Now, that might have been a, a very wise political decision, but as we're going to see later in this series, it's not really a wise religious decision because the law of Moses uh, warns uh, against a number of things that are wrong with that, but it warns against kings in particular taking too many wives, and it warns against God's people uh, taking foreign wives, and it even warns against Egypt in general. So that's kind of a doozy when you're a king taking a wife from, from Egypt. Uh, all of those things are, are sort of uh, warning signs. So again, this is uh, just a small detail that, that the narrator includes. But when we get to, let's say, chapter 11, if you want to flip there and have some spoilers in the Solomon story, when we get to chapter 11, you're going to look back in chapter 3 and go, oh, that's how we got from, from point A to point B. So that, that's a really important one. Uh, the second warning sign is, is not as obvious, and it could be incidental. I may be reading too much into this, uh, but later on in, in verse 1, the, the text alludes to Solomon finishing his palace and the temple of the Lord. And one of the dy dynamics we're going to look at a little bit, a little bit later in a couple weeks is that uh, Solomon seems more focused on and committed to the building of his own palace and some of his own other building projects than he does on, on the building of, of God's temple. And so maybe the language here in chapter three, maybe it doesn't, I don't know, but maybe the language here of, of putting his palace first points us forward in, in the story that, that Solomon, this is going to be yet another thing that Solomon struggles with. Am I here to build God's temple or am I here to build uh, my, my fancy stuff? And then the, the third warning sign comes in verse three. It's actually pretty explicit as a warning sign. So let's read that again. The text says, Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father, David. That's all really good, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. And verse four goes on to tell us that, it in, that it's in Gibeon, which is the most important high place, that, that Solomon actually offered 1,000 uh, burned, or yeah, 1,000 uh, burnt offerings. Now, like with the, the foreign wives, we're not going to deal with this uh, fully until it pops up in, in the story later on, and it, it becomes a really significant issue. But for now, we'll say that Solomon worshiping at these high places is not ideal. It sounds really righteous and holy. He's offering a thousand burnt offerings. It's, it's awesome. But this is not really what Solomon is supposed to be up to. Uh, these high places that, that we see back in, in the, the Torah and throughout the Old Testament these high places were often worship sites that had previously been used to worship other gods. And, and generally speaking, there's an exception or two, but generally speaking, uh, they were not where God wanted his people to worship him. And so, yes, God's temple has not been built yet. It's a little bit more complicated. Uh, but as we're going to see even later on in verse 15, there was still a better and a more proper form of, of worship than for Solomon to be worshiping uh, God. He was worshiping God, but he was worshiping God 
at, at these particular high places. So again, this is a warning sign that once again, when we get to chapter 11, you're going to go, uh-oh, you know, maybe he shouldn't have been doing that in, in the first place. So that all, those warning signs bring us to, to this scene beginning in, in verse 5, where uh, Solomon is, has gone from Jerusalem over to Gibeon to offer all these thousand sacrifices. And this is about five miles away for, from Jerusalem. And that is the, the setting for this really famous scene beginning in, in verse 5. And some of the details you may go, oh, I, and that's because it's also in, it's in 2 Chronicles chapter 1. And the stories are told a little bit different. So we're going to focus this morning on, on how 1 Kings tells it. So verse 5 reads, At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. That's a unique detail to 1 Kings. In a dream. And God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. And I don't know if, if God is, is trying to test Solomon's faith here or what exactly God is up to. But this is obviously a, a major offer that, that God makes to Solomon. Uh, if God came to you mid-dream and, and said that you could have anything uh, that, that you want, I know I at least would be tempted to ask for uh, any number of things that are, are more childish or not as good or important for me as, as wisdom. And so to, to Solomon's credit, uh, we, we see a young man that even before he's given the gift of wisdom, he's demonstrating certain, certain good qualities. So we see those beginning in, in verse 6. We see a humble heart and a wise mind already on display. Solomon answers God, and he says, you've shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. And then verse seven, now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father, David. Here's his humility, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? What I want to suggest to you this, this morning, uh, maybe something that you wouldn't have heard in other sermons or, or classes uh, on, on this passage, what I want to suggest to you is that Solomon already demonstrates humility and wisdom before he ever makes his humble request for wisdom. And in verse 7, I think he shows humility by acknowledging that he is, it's a figure of speech, but he's saying he, he's just a little child and he doesn't know exactly how to carry out all of these, these kingly duties. He's aware that he's stepping into the, the to fill the big shoes of, of his father, David, and that he is going to need God's help if he's going to be faithful and to succeed. That's, that's a sign of, of humility. And then in verse eight, he shows wisdom in his assessment of how difficult the, the task in front of him is, is going to be. And, and he recognizes that God's people are great. They're, they're too numerous to, to count or to number. And one man, any man ruling such a great nation is going to be a, a really difficult task. And so it's that sense of humility and wisdom that already seems to be there within Solomon that leads him in verse nine to make what is his, his very famous request for further wisdom. And, and so uh, we read in verse nine, so give your servant, notice it doesn't say wisdom, that's more the chronicles retelling, but here in first Kings, it says, so give your servant a discerning heart. I think I might like that even more. Give your servant 
a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. And I love the reflection question that that leads to. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? Solomon, I think, wisely assesses the, the challenges that he's going to face, and, and that leads him to ask God above anything else, not for a, a good reign or for any specific blessing or outcome of his reign, but it leads him to ask God for a wise and discerning heart, a discerning heart that will allow him to govern the people well, and a discerning heart that will allow him to distinguish between, between right and wrong, which potentially is something we've already seen Solomon struggle with up, up to this point. So it's a, a beautiful request by Solomon, and it's followed by a beautiful response from God beginning in verse 10. And this is kind of the section of the story we always like, because it's like, if you ask for wisdom, then you get everything else anyways, which is, is not really the point. Uh, but I think you know the rest of the story pretty well, but we'll, we'll read it again. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for a long life for wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but you've asked for discernment in administering justice. I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. God grants his initial request, but he's not done yet. Look at verse 13. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me, which is not a given, if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David, your father did, I will give you a long life. And then verse 15, the last verse in our, our passage for this morning, verse 15 tells us that Solomon then wakes up from this dream. And, it, and it's only at this point, after the fact, that, that Solomon realizes that this was a dream. And he gets off to a pretty good start on what God told him to do in, in verse 14 and walking in obedience to him because the text says that as he wakes up from this dream, he then returns from Gibeon back down the road, back to Jerusalem. And it's there in Jerusalem that he stands before the Ark of the Covenant, where we think he probably should have been in the first place. This is where he should have been worshiping God and coming before God and, and offering sacrifices in the first place. He really should have never been in Gibeah. In, in Gibeon. And there in Jerusalem, he once again offers burnt offerings. He offers fellowship offerings, and he throws a feast for the royal court. And I think the narrative kind of suggests that this is a, uh, what we might call something like a, a rededication ceremony by, by Solomon, that he is recommitting to live faithfully uh, before God, to walk before God faithfully in all his ways and, and for all the days of, of his life. And, and so verse 15 then would be in contrast to that opening scene we see of him, him worshiping in, in Gibeon. So at least what I see in this episode of, of Solomon's dream, again, is it's, it's a wise request. It's already wise to ask for this. It's a wise request for wisdom. And it's a request for wisdom that will put him in the, the position to ask, um, to ask God for, for what he might do in every other situation that, that he encounters in the future. And Ethan's going to look uh, at one of those stories next week, and there's going to be any number of, of things that Solomon encounters in the rest of his life that he's able to, to move through uh, because of this initial uh, request for wisdom. Uh, I think he's aware of, of the massive challenges out, out ahead of him, 
And it's the sheer difficulty of, of those challenges that lead him to, to go to God and ask, and ask for wisdom. Now, I know uh, that none of us here this, this morning are, are going to be specifically overwhelmed by the need uh, to govern a great and mighty nation, uh, the United Kingdom of, of Israel and Judah. I know that's not uh, what any one of us are, are facing this morning. And yet we each, uh, and each one of us in different ways, we each have responsibilities in life, challenges in life that seem just as daunting as, as what Solomon was facing and, and that are going to require help from above. We each have tasks and relationships and uh, responsibilities that are, are bigger than we are. Go back to that line, Solomon saying, I'm, I'm just a little child. There are, are things that make us feel like little children, and we're not sure exactly how we're going to overcome them in a way that honors God without, without the, the help of God. I think we need God's wisdom and God's discernment uh, in matters concerning our, our families, what it, what it looks like for us to not only honor our father and mother, but to honor everyone in our families and how to balance all of those different family relationships that, that we each have. I think we need God's wisdom in, in matters concerning our vocations. When I say the word vocation, uh, for some of you, that, that may be your job, your, your weekly job that, that you go to for 40 hours. But for some of you, that could be raising a kid or a grandkid that could be living out your faith as, as a retired person. Uh, that could be being a heavy-duty church volunteer. Our vocations are the, the major aspects of, uh, of our lives that we're called to in this particular season of, of life. And I think we need God's wisdom in matters concerning uh, our roles in, in our community and, and in the world. Uh, how do we shine the light of Christ in this immediate community? How do we love our, our neighbors well? We talk about those things, but what, what's the wisdom required to actually execute those how do we respond or, or not respond to all the, the chaos going on in our nation or around the world? How would God have us act as his ambassadors? Or maybe more importantly, how would God not have us act as his ambassadors? This all requires wisdom. And I think we need, finally, God's wisdom in matters concerning our church family. How am I called, uniquely Kyle, uniquely Alicia, whoever, whoever you are, how am I called to serve and edify this body? How do I balance time uh, spent with Christians versus non-Christians? How do I forgive brothers and sisters who have wronged me or offended me? How do I love those in the church who are a little bit harder to love? What's my role in raising up the next generation? There's, there's all sorts of things because this is my vocation. I can think through them a little bit more. Uh, but there's all sorts of things just in the life of the church that require us to have wise and discerning hearts. And so given our, our own deep need for, for wisdom uh, in all of those different areas of life, I felt like it would be a little bit more fruitful for us this morning uh, rather than for me to, to preach for just another 10 minutes for us to take a few minutes and, and to practice together what, what we've just heard preached. And so we're going to, to join Solomon this morning in, in asking God uh, for wisdom. And, and we're going to ask God for, for, for that wisdom, for those wise and discerning hearts uh, in four different areas of our lives. I've just gone through them a little bit, uh, but so you'll know what's to come. Uh, we're going to spend a couple minutes thinking about our families, about our vocations, about our, our roles in our community, in our world, and then finally we'll look at uh, wise and discerning hearts in our, in our church family. Essentially how this is going to work, I'm going to sit down, 
uh, Nathan's going to keep us up on one bullet point for two, uh, two and a half minutes. And if you want to take notes in your phone or write something down, you can. But otherwise, just sit and reflect for uh, a couple minutes, uh, asking God for wise and discerning hearts in, in this particular area of your life. And then he'll flip that, that slide a couple of times and uh, we'll work through, through, through each of these. And ultimately, uh, this will be eight to 10 minutes, but I, but I hope this is an exercise uh, that prepares you this week to spend a, a little bit more time coming before God and, and asking God, uh, as Solomon asked God, to give each of us wise and discerning hearts. So let's begin.
continue in a time of prayer together. God, we are, uh, we are thankful for your servant, Solomon, and for the example here in, in Holy Scripture that, that he sets for us. And we, we can relate uh, to, to a man like him who, who had a heart set on, on serving you, but who struggled with uh, executing those, those intentions at, at times. And so, God, this, this morning we, we join Solomon in, in asking you to give us wise and discerning hearts. And as we consider the responsibilities and the relationships and the decisions and the, the challenges that each of us are facing, uh, we, we ask for, for the wisdom that only you can, can provide. God, I, I play, pray a, a blessing over, over every family unit represented here this morning, and, and I pray that you will bless uh, each individual as, as they discern uh, and, and look to be faithful in their roles within, within their own families, God. God, I also pray that you will, will guide each of us as we engage in, in the vocations that you have called us to in this, this present season of our lives. God, I pray that you will please direct us as, as we seek to be a light that shines in this community and to be a light that shines in this dark world. And God, I pray that you will, you will guard uh, this, this church family and every single member of this body, God, that you will give us the wisdom to know how to love and to serve and to edify one another well. And we ask all these things in the name of, of your son, Jesus. Amen. We're going to transition uh, now into our, our weekly time of, of communion, uh, but, but I want you to keep this story of, of Solomon asking for, for wisdom at the, the forefront of, of your minds. And we're going to jump forward uh, for a moment in, in the biblical storyline to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, if, if you want to turn there. Uh, I would say the, the Corinthian church is composed of people who are struggling to wisely follow Jesus. And if they had done the exercise we just did, I would imagine that there were a lot of things that needed to be on their lists. Uh, maybe especially on the, the fourth bullet point. Uh, they had a lot to learn uh, about what it looks like to, to wisely live as Jesus followers within the church and out, out in the world. And one of Paul's solutions, as he writes this letter to them, one of his solutions is to point them to Jesus, who in his words, has become for us wisdom from God. King Solomon might have been a wise king who asked God for, for further wisdom, but in Christ Jesus, we see, according to 1 Corinthians 1, we see wisdom embodied. We, we see wisdom incarnate. We see a king who has become for us wisdom from God, as the text will say. That is, he has become our righteousness. He has become our holiness he has become our redemption. That's what it looks like for Jesus to become wisdom for us. So let's read uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 18 to 31, and then I'm going to pray for the bread and the cup together at the same time. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? 
Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let's pray for the bread and the cup. Your God, as, as we commune with you this morning, Father, Son, and, and Spirit, and as we commune with our brothers and our sisters around the world and down through the ages, we focus our minds this morning on the wisdom of the cross. This wisdom of the cross was and, and is and will be foolishness to the world, but to those of us whom you have called, the cross reveals your power, the cross reveals your wisdom, the cross reveals your glory. And so we give thanks this morning for your son, Jesus, whose body was broken and whose blood was shed for each and every one of us so that he could become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption, so that he could become for us wisdom from God. As we eat this bread and as we drink this cup, may we do so in remembrance of your son, Jesus, and it's in his name we pray.